0: how much you can read just by reading every day, reading uh, reading daily, daily morning readings. <laughs> like we already read the biography of Thoreau and we read Walden and we've read Shakespeare and we've read all, all of Emily Dickinson and oh my goodness. Just by this method of reading maybe even ten pages. But anyways, we're continuing. Now, we're halfway through the best of the selected journals of Henry David Thoreau. We come to June 14th, 1853. So we have the second part of 1853. It says, June 14th, C. Allery Channing says... He uh, he saw a worker yesterday in the woods on the Marlborough Road. He heard a distressing noise like a man sneezing, but long continued, but at length found it was a man wheezing. He was oldish and grizzled, stumps of his grizzled beard about an inch long and his clothes in the worst possible condition, a wretched-looking creature, an escaped convict. Hiding in the woods, perhaps, he appeared holding on to his pouch and wheezing as if he, it would kill him. He appeared to have come straight through the swamp, and what was most interesting about him and proved him him uh, to be a lurker of the first class of rye of first class. One of our party, as C said, he kept straight through a field of he c- kept straight through a field of rye which was fully grown, not regarding it in the least, and though C, that is Ellery Channing, tried to. Conceal himself on the edge of the rye, fearing to hurt his feelings if the man should mistake him for the proprietor. Yet they met in the Lurker, Giving him a a short bow, disappeared in the woods on the opposite side of the road. He went through everything. Hmm. June 20th, up North River to Naushataka. The moonfall perhaps there is no more beautiful scene than that on the North River seen from the rock this side the hemlocks. As you look upstream you see a crescent shaped lake completely embosomed in the forest. There is nothing to be seen but the smooth black mirror of the water on which there is now the slightest discernible bluish mist a foot high and a thick-set altars and wind willows and the green woods without an interstitch, sloping upward from its very surface like the sides of a bowl. The river is here for half a mile, completely shut in by the forest. One hemlock which the current has undermined has fallen over till it lies parallel with the water a foot or two above it and reaching two-thirds across the stream, its extremity curving upward to the light now dead. Here it has been a year or two, and it has only taken the place of the others which have fall, successively fallen in and been carried away by the stream. One lies now cast up on the shore, some wild roses so pale now in the twilight that they look exactly like great blackberry blossoms. I think these would look so at midday. I saw a little skunk coming up the river bank in the woods at the white oak, a funny little fellow, about six inches long and nearly as broad. It faced me and actually compelled me to retreat. Before it for five minutes, perhaps I was between it and its hole. Its broad black tail, tipped with white, was erect like a kitten's. It had what looked like a broad white band drawn tight across its forehead or top head from which two lines of white ran down one on each side of its back, and there was a narrow white line down its snout. It raised its back several times, sometimes ran a few feet forward, sometimes backward, and repeatedly turned its tail to me, prepared to discharge its fluid like the old. Such was its instinct, and all the while it kept up a fine grunting, like a little pig or a squirrel. It reminded me that the red squirrel, the woodchuck, and the skunk all make a similar sound. Here we have the grunting I keep talking about. All the animals like to grunt. Talking about the skunk. You met a skunk. Have uh-huh. you ever seen skunks? Uh-huh. Now there are young rabbit skunks and probably woodchucks uh-huh. hmm. walking amid the bushes and the ferns just after moonrise. I well I am refreshed with many sweet scents which I cannot trace to their source. How the trees shoot to the tops of young pines towards the moon are covered with fine shoots some eighteen inches long. Will they grow much more this year? There is a peculiarity, peculiarly smooth, creamy light round the moon. Now it is low in the sky. The bullfrogs begin about eight-thirty. They lie at their length on the surface amid the pads. I touched one's nose with my finger, and he only gave a sudden frockish belch and moved a foot or two off. How hard to imitate their note exactly its sonorousness. Here close by it is like er with a sonorous trumpa. Uh-huh. We're back to Trump again. Uh-huh. But now it's a sonorous Trump. Trump. Sonorous Trump. Which these letters do not suggest. Or, or, oof. On our return, having reached the reach, having reached the reach, uh-huh. they reached... The reach by Merrick's pasture we got the best view of the moon in the southeast. Reflected in the water on account of the length of the reach. The creamy light about it is also perfectly reflected. The path of insects on the surface between us and the moon is lit up like fire. The leafy calm downs planted by the river at foot of Pritchard. Pritchard's field are exceedingly beautiful, the moon being behind them, and I see that they are not too near together, though sometimes hardly a yard apart, their branches crossing and interlacing the trunks look like columns of a portico wreath. Uh, With evergreens on the evening of an illumination for some great festival They are the more rich because in this creamy light You cannot distinguish the trunk from the verdure that drapes it Hmm. This is the most sultry night we have had All windows and doors are open in the village, and scarcely a lamp is lit. I pass many families sitting in their yards. The shadows of the trees and houses are too extended now that the moon is low in the heavens to show the richest tracery. It's like a summer night. It's June 20th, Uh huh? June 22nd, I find my clothes covered with young cater caterpillars these days. June 23rd, the other day I saw that I took to be a scarecrow in a cultivated field and noticing how unnaturally it was stuffed out there and there and how ungainly its arms and legs were, I thought to myself, quote, well, it is this, they make these things, they do not stand much about it. But looking around again, after I had gone by, I saw my scarecrow walking off with a real live man in it. Hmm. He saw a scarecrow, but it was alive. Uh-huh. Hmm. Remember how I used to see uh, see whales in the ocean, but they were just... Rocks, water breaking over rocks. I'm uh-huh. probably seeing things. Uh-huh. July 1, I am perse- surveying the Bedford Road these days and have no time for my journal. He's working. July 1, he's working and doing surveying. July 21, 2 p.m., went in pursuit of boys who had stolen my boat seat to Fairhaven. He hmm. yeah, probably had a boat uh, on one of the lakes. Uh. July 30th. Many go to Europe to finish their education, and when they have returned, their friends remark that the most they have acquired is a correct pronunciation of English. It is a premature hardening, but howling of the shell. They become valuable utensils of the gourd kind, but have no palatable and nutritious inside. Instead of acquiring nutritious and palatable qualities to the pulp, it is all absorbed into a prematurely hardened shell. They went away, squashes and returned gourds. They are all expressed or squeezed out. Their essential oil is gone. They are pronounced for you. They are good to stand before or for a noun. Or man has handles, not even hollow gourds always, but a handle without the mug. They pronounce with the sharp, precise report of a rifle, but the likeness is in the sound only, for they have no bullets to file fire. Do you think? People have no bullets to fire. You could speak like the Queen of England, but have no content. (laughs) 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 They're no palatable or nutritious inside. Mm. August 7th. Here is the barber sailing up the still dark cloud-reflecting river in the longboat, which he built so elaborately himself with two large sails set. He is quite alone thus far from town, and so quiet and so sensibly employed, bound to Fairhaven Bay. Instead of meeting comrades in a shop on the mill dam or sleeping away his Sabbath in a chamber, that I think of him as having experienced religion I know so much good of him, at least that one dark, still Sunday, he sailed alone from the village to Fairhaven Bay. What chance was there to serve the devil by that excursion? He had had a companion, I should have had some doubts, but being alone, it seemed, communion day with him. August 10th. Bronson Alcott spent the day with me yesterday he spent the day before with Emerson he observed that he had got his wine and now he had come after his venison such was the compliment he paid me the question of a livelihood was troubling him he knew of nothing which he could do for which man would pay him he could not compete with the Irish in cradling grain His early education had not fitted him for a clerkship. He had offered his services to the Abolition Society to go about the country and speak for freedom as their agent, but they declined him. This is very much to their discredit. They should have been forward to secure him. Such a connection with him would... Confer unexpected dignity to their enterprise, but they cannot tolerate a man who stands by a head above them. They are as bad, Garrison and Phillips, etc., as the overseers and faculty of Harvard College. They require a man who will train well under them. Consequently, they have not in their employ any but small men, trainers. Bronson Alcott was the father of Louisa May Alcott. I think he had a, a lot of books and and that uh, Greek, Greek and Latin probably. August 11th found rather blank rather curious his breath smelled of rum mm-hmm. was complaining that his sons did not get married He told me his age when he married 30-odd years ago. How his wife bore him eight children and then died. And in what respect she proved herself a true woman, etc., etc. I saw that it was as impossible to speak of marriage to such a man, to the mass of men as of poetry. Its disadvantages and disadvantages are not such as they have dreamed of. Their marriage is prose or worse. To be married, Ellie, should be the one poetical act of a man's life. To be poetic, huh? marriage to be married at least should be the one by the one poetical act of a man's life if you fail in this regard in what respect will you succeed the marriage which the mass of men comprehend is but little better than the marriage of the beast it would be just as fit for such a man to discourse to you on the love of flowers thinking of them as hay for their, his oxen. What shall we name this season, this very late afternoon or very early evening, this severe and placid season of the day, most favorable for reflection, after the insufferable heats and the bustle of the day are over and before the dampness and twilight of evening, the sincere, serene hour, <clears throat> the muses' hour, the season of reflection, it is commonly desecrated to it by being made tea-time. That's a muse's hour. It begins, perhaps, with the very earliest condensation of moisture in the air, when the sh- uh, shadows of hills <coughs> are first observed, and the breeze begins to go down, and birds begin again to sing. The pensive season, it is earlier than the chaste eve of the poet. Uh, when would you say the chaste eve of the poet is? The eve, Chast uh, chaste eve. Bats have not come forth, it is not twilight. There is no dew yet on the grass. And still as uh, any earthly star in the sky heavens. It is the turning point between afternoon and evening, so we're talking about the turning point. You know how you're supposed to meditate at sunrise and sunset. And we're talking about the turning point, the special tea time or the muses hour. You can contact a muse. Uh-huh. The few sounds now heard far or near are delicious. It is not more dusty and obscure but clearer than before the clearing of the air, but condensation of mist more than balances the increase of shadows. chaste Eve is merely preparing with dewy fing- dewy finger dewy finger to draw over all the gradual dusty veil not yet quote the plowman homeward plods his weary way Unquote. nor owls nor beetles are abroad it is a season somewhat earlier than is celebrated by the poets <clears throat> there is not such a sense of lateness And approaching night, as they described, I mean when the first emissaries of evening come to smooth the lakes and streams. The poet rouses himself and collects his thoughts. He postpones tea indefinitely. Thought has taken her siesta. Each sound has a broad and deep relief of silence. Hmm. Now we're talking about what he calls the serene hour or the muses hour, or the chaste eve, <laughs> or the time between, turning point between evening and afternoon and evening, just somewhat taken up by tea time, <laughs> with the dewy finger and the gradual dusty veil. <clears throat> That's August 11th, 1853. August nineteenth, Friday, nine a.m. to Sudbury by with W.E.C. Allery Channing. <laughs> Cooler weather. Last Sunday we were sweltering here, and one hundred died of the heat in New York. Wow, that's hot. Today they have fires in this village. After more rain with wind in the night, it is now clearing up cool. It cooled off by August 19th. There is a broad, clear crescent of blue in the west, slowly increasing an agreeable autumnal coolness both under the high withdrawn clouds and the edges of the woods, and a considerable wind wafts us along, with our one sail and two umbrellas sitting in thick coats. I was going to sit and write and mop all day in the house, but it seems wise to cultivate animal spirits, to embark in enterprises which employ and recreate the whole body. Let the divine spirits, like the huntsmen with this bugle, occupy the animal spirit that will fain range the forest and meadow. Even the gods and goddesses Apollo and Diana are found in the field, though they are superior to the dog and the deer. Interesting it cooled off by August 19th. You see, sometimes the last two weeks of August can be cool, a lot cooler than the first two weeks. <laughs> so, if you're going to the beach, you want to take vacation time in the first part of August, not the second part. You, I mean, to end up too cold. <laughs> it is a glorious and ever memorable day. We observe attentively the first beautiful days in the spring. But not so much in the autumn. We might expect that the first fair days, after so much rain, would be remarkable. It is a day affecting the spirits of men, but that it is nobody to enjoy it but ourselves. What do the laborer, ox, and the laborer, man, care for the beautiful days? Will the haymaker, when he comes home tonight, know that this has been such a beautiful day? This day itself has been the great phenomenon, but will it be reported in any journal, as the storm is and the heat? it is like a great, beautiful flower unnamed <laughs> We're reporting it in this podcast huh? that how it was a beautiful day in August nineteenth eighteen fifty three huh? It was like a great and beautiful flower, unnamed. I see a man trimming willows on the Sudbury, Casway and others, raking hay out of the water in the midst of all this clarity and brightness. But are they aware of the splendor of this day? Do you think the splendor is in his consciousness as a transcendentalist, or is the day itself splendous? Hmm? Is the rose splendid, or is the day splendid? (laughs) The mass of mankind uh, who live in houses or shops or are bent upon their labor out of doors know nothing of the beautiful days which are passing about and around them. Is not such a day worthy of a hymn It is such a day as mankind might spend in praising and glorifying nature. Do you think we should just work and make hay, or should we glorify nature and praise? It might be spent as a natural Sabbath, if only all men would accept the hint Devoted to unworldly thoughts. The first bright day of the fall, the earth reflector, the dog day mist are gone. The washed earth shines. The cooler air braces man. No summer day is so beautiful as the fair spring and fall days. Mm-hmm think he's like the reincarnation of a poet, like a Persian poet, like Sadi, (laughs) like he claims to be. (laughs) I didn't say it, he did. August 23rd, live in each season as it passes, breathe the air, drink the drink, taste the fruit, resign yourself to the influence of each. Let them be your only diet, drink, and botanical medicines. He says that the air and the taste of fruit. uh, Let them be your only diet, drink, and botanical medicines. In August, live on berries, not dried meats. And Pemmakon, if you, as if you were on shipboard making your way through a waste ocean or in a northern desert, he's saying just live on berries, in August that is. So, in August, live on berries. That's what Thoreau says. Hmm. So in August, we'll have to be Thorovian transcendentalist. Uh-huh. We would have to go through the woods and live on berries. <laughs> be blown on by all the winds. Open all your pores and bathe in all the tides of nature. In all her streams and oceans, at all seasons. Miasma and infection are from within, not without The invalid brought to the brink of the grave by an unnatural life instead of imbibing only the great influence that nature is. Drinks only the tea made of a particular herb while he still continues his unnatural life. Saves at the spile and waste at the bung. He does not love nature or his life and so... Sickens and dies, and no doctor can cure him. Grow green with spring, yellow and ripe with autumn. Drink of each season's influence as a vial, a true panacea of all remedies mixed with your special, special use. For their special use, the vials of summer never make a man sick. But those which he stored in his cellar, drank the wines not of your bottling, but nature's bottling, not kept in goatskins or pigskins, but the skins of a myriad fair berries. He's still promoting berries. He says to forego the wine and drink, eat berries. What nature do your bottling, and your pickling, and preserving. For all nature is doing her best each moment to make us well. She exists for no other end. Do not resist her, and with the least inclination to be well, we should not be sick. Men have discovered, or think they have discovered the Salutarian of a few wild things only, and not of all nature. Why, quote, nature, unquote, is but another name for health, and the seasons are but different states of health. Some men think that they are not well in spring, or summer, or autumn, or winter, it is only because they are not well in them. Most poems, like the fruits, are sweetest towards the blossoming. He's talking about nature as our medicine. Hmm. He recommends berries in August. No. He's in the. The ultimate in fresh food, as you pick it yourself and eat it on the spot in the woods. September 1. There are two kinds of simplicity. Now there's two kinds. Uh We're going to find out what they are. Two kinds of simplicity. One that is akin to foolishness, the other to wisdom. The philosopher's style of living is only outwardly simple, but inwardly complex. Uh, The savage's style is both outwardly and inwardly simple. A simpleton can perform many mechanical labors, but is not capable of profound thought. It is their limited view, not in respect to style, but to the object of living. A man who has equally limited views with respect to the end of living will not be helped by the most complex and refined style of living. It is not the tub that makes Diogenes Diogenes, the Jove-born, but Diogenes the tub, D-I-O-G-E-N-E-S. September 11th, checkerberries are full grown, but green. They must have been new mitchella berries than that I saw some time ago. River cornell berries have begun to disappear In a stubble field, I go through a very fine, diffusely branching grass, now going to seed, which is like a reddish mist to my eyes, two feet deep and trembling around me. September 12th, it occurred to me when I awoke this morning, feeling a grat for intemperance of the day before in eating fruit, which had dulled my sensibilities that man was to be treated as a musical instrument. And if any vial was to be made of sound timber and well kept well tuned always, it was he, so that when the bow of events is drawn across him he may vibrate and resound in perfect harmony. A sensitive soul will be continually trying its strings to see if they are in tune. A man's body must be rasped. Uh, down exactly to a shaving. It is of far more importance than the wood of a Cremona violin. Cremona violin is like a Stradivarius of Cremona, Italy, which I've been there. Uh-huh. I can brag now. Uh-huh. The purpose of this podcast is for me to brag about all oh, I know about Stradivarius violins. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We should be like fine tuned musical instruments by meditating daily until we're in perfect harmony. Mm. This is September 12th, October 24th, early on (coughs) Na Shatuk. Black willows bare, golden willow with yellow leaves, large yellow. Most elders by river bare, except at top. Waxwork shows red. Celtis almost bare, with greenish yellow top leaves at top. Some hickories bare, some with rich golden brown leaves. Locust bare bare, the greenish yellow leaves. Catnip fresh and green and in bloom. Barberries green, reddish or scarlet. Cranberry beds at distance in meadows from ill are red, from a week or more, Lombardy poplar yellow. Red maples and elms alone, very conspicuously bare in our landscape. White thorns bare and berries mostly fallen, reddening the ground. Hedge mustard still fresh in bloom, but in woods half bare. The rock maple leaves a clear yellow. Now and then one shows some blood in its veins and blushes. People are busy raking the leaves before their houses. Some put them over their strawberries. I guess you could put leaves over your strawberries to protect them from frost. Do you think? Don't people put straw on their strawberries? I don't know. That's why they're doing it. October 26th, when after feeling dissatisfied with my life, I aspire to something better and more scrupulous and more reserved and con- con- continent As if expecting somewhat suddenly, I find myself full of life as a nut of meat, am overflowing with a quiet, genial mirthfulness. I think to myself, I must attend to my diet. I must get up earlier and take a morning walk. I must have done with luxuries and devote myself to my muse. So I dam up my stream and my waters. Gathered to a head, I am freighted with thought. I, he's saying he must attend to my diet. I must get up earlier and take a morning walk. <laughs> oh, I assumed he already was getting up early and taking walks. So. November 8th. At evening the snow turned to rain and the salt sugaring soon disappeared sugaring deer is probably maple syrup in the trees Mm. November 12th I cannot but regard it as a kindness in those who have the steering of me that by the want of a pecuniary wealth I have been nailed down to this my native region so long and steadily and made to study and love this spot of earth more and more what would signify in comparison a thin and diffused love and knowledge of the old earth instead, but by wandering. Hmm. Seems he's stuck in Concord and wasn't able to go to California. I don't think he wanted to. November 15th, after having some business dealings with men, I am occasionally chagrined and feel as if I had done some wrong, and it is hard to forget the ugly circumstance. I see that such intercourse long-continued would make one thoroughly prosaic, hard and coarse, but the longest intercourse with nature, though in her rudest moods, does not thus harden and make coarse. A hard and sensitive man whom we liken to a rock is indeed much harder than a rock. From hard, coarse, insensitive, Insensible men with whom I have no sympathy, I go to commune with the rocks whose hearts are comparatively soft. Hmm, we could finish this possibly. December 2nd, the skeleton which at first sight hates sights only a shudder in all mortals becomes at last not only a pure but suggestive. And pleasing object is science. The more we know of it, the less we associate it with any goblin of our imaginations. The longer we keep it, the less likely it is that any such will come to claim it. We discover that the only spirit which haunts it is a universal intelligence which has created it in harmony with all nature. Science never saw a ghost, nor does it look for any, but it sees everywhere the traces, and it is itself the agent of a universal intelligence. December 22nd. Surveying the last three days, they have not yielded much that I am aware of. All I find is old bound marks and the slowness and dullness of farmers. Reconfirmed. They even complain that I walk too fast for them. Their legs have become stiff from toil. Their discourse and hurried outdoor work compels me to live grossly or be attentive to my diet. That is the worst of it. Like work, like diet, that I find is the rule. Left to my chosen pursuits, I should never drink tea, nor coffee, nor eat meat. I should never drink tea, nor coffee, nor eat meat. The diet of any class or generation is the natural result of its employment and locality. It is remarkable how unprofitable it is for the most part to talk with farmers. They commonly stand on their good behavior and attempt to moralize or philosophize in a serious conversation. Sportsmen and loafers are better company. For society, a man must not be too good or well-disposed to spoil his natural disposition. The bad are frequently good, enough to let you see how bad they are, but the good are frequently endeavor to get between you and themselves. Uh I have dined out five times and teed once within a week. Four times there was tea on the dinner table. Always meet but once baked beans, always pie, but no puddings. I suspect tea has taken the place of cider with farmers. I am reminded of Hayden, the painter's experience, when he went about painting the nobility. I go about to the houses of the farmers and squires in like manner. This is my portrait painting when I would fain be employed on higher subjects. I have offered myself much more earnestly as a lecturer than a surveyor, yet I do not get any employment as a lecturer, was not invited to lecture once last winter, and only once without pay this winter, but I can get surveying enough, which a hundred others in this county can do as well as I though it is not boasting much to say that a hundred others in New England cannot lecture as well as I on my themes. But they who do not make the highest demand on you shall rue it. It is because they make a low demand on themselves, all the while that they use only their humbler faculties. Your higher unemployed faculties, like an invisible key matar, are cutting them in twain. Woe be to the generation that lets any higher faculty in its pisco unemployed. That is to deny God and know him not, and he accordingly will know not of them. We've reached it all the way to December 26th, was ta- overtaken by an Irishman seeking work. I asked him if he could chop wood. He said he was not long in this country but he could cut one side of a tree well enough but he had not learned to change hands and cut the other without going round it. What we call crossing the carf. I didn't know what crossing the carf is. I thought I knew everything about working in the farm on the woods, but I don't know, crossing the carve. Did you ever cut a tree? Yeah, but I probably had a chainsaw and stuff. Didn't? It's too modern. <laughs> they probably had to chop it with the uh, axe. Um, December 29th? All day a driving snowstorm imprisoning me most stopping the cars, blocking up the roads. No train, no school today. I cannot see a house fifty rods off from my window, though it yet in mist of all I see a bird, probably a true tree sparrow, partly blown, partly flying over the house to a light in a field. The snow penetrates through the smallest crevices under doors and sides of windows. Now it's December 29th p.m. Tried my snowshoes. <laughs> See, he had snowshoes, dear. I have, still have snowshoes. <laughs> Despite the fact that I'm a minimalist, <laughs> there's certain things that stand out. And... <laughs> my minimalistic universe. Uh-huh. I still have snowshoes and cross-country skis. Uh-huh. They sort of fall outside the, the band of... That's not a luxury show. They're not exactly. They're not a luxury. Well, they fall outside of the household in a way because they're not kept in the house. Tried my snowshoes. They sink deeper than I expected. I throw the snow upon my back. When I return 20 minutes after, my great tracks were not to be seen. It is the worst snowstorm to bear that I remember. The strong wind from the north blows the snow almost horizontally, and beside freezing you almost takes your breath away. The driving snow blinds you, and where you are protected you can see but little way it is so thick. Yet in spite or on account of all, I see the first flock of arctic snowbirds. E m b e r i c a. N-I-V-A-L-I-S, near the depot, white and black, with a sharp whistle-like note. An hour after, I discovered half a pint of snow in each pocket of my great coat. What a contrast between the village street now and last summer. The leafy elms, then resounding with the warbling vireo, Robins, bluebirds, and fiery hangbird, to which the villagers, kept indoors by the heat, listened through open lattices. Remember how it was way too hot? In the summer, like a hundred people died in New York from the heat. And now, we had this major snowstorm. Now it is like a street in Nova Zambla. If they were to have any there, I wade to the post office as solitary, a traveler as ordinarily in a wood path in winter. The snow is mid-leg deep. That's like up to your knees, I guess. While Drift says, what? Mid-leg. Mid-leg. Oh, it's higher? below the knee. Below the knee? or above the knee? Leg is the leg? Where's the, the mid-leg? Leg. Well, doesn't the leg go up to your waist? Uh, the whatever. The snow is mid-leg deep, while drifts as high as one's head, are heaped against the houses and fences, and here and there range across the street like snowy mountains. Uh-huh. They descend from this, relieved into capacious valleys with a harder bottom, or more affordable. The track of one large sleigh alone is visible, nearly snowed up. There is not a track leading from any door to indicate that inhabitants have been forth today, any more than there is track of any quadruped quadruped by the Wood pass. It is all pure, untrodden snow banked up against the houses now at 4 p.m., and no evidence that a villager has been abroad today. Looks like uh, only Thoreau went out Mm -hmm. with the snowshoes. Do you think we could uh, go snowshoeing with Thoreau? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I go out snowshoeing. You can picture all that. I'm picturing it in my mind. In my place, the drift covers the front yard fence and stretches hence upon outward to the top of the front door. Shutting all in, and frequently the snow lies banked up three or four feet high against the front doors, and the windows are all snowed up. And there is a drift over each window, and the clapboards are all hoary with it. It is as if the inhabitants were all frozen to death, and now you've threaded the desolate streets weeks after that calamity. There is not a sleigh or vehicle of any kind on the build dam, but one saddled horse on which a farmer has come into town. The cars are nowhere, and they are warmer, merrier than ever there within. At the post office they ask each traveler news of the cars, Is there any train up or down? For how deep the snow is on a level? That's the end. year of eighteen fifty-three. We had gone snowshoeing with Thoreau. <laughs> we went through the snow thoroughly. With thorough thorough, with thorough. And we uh he said, I shall never drink tea or coffee nor eat meat. He was concerned when he was surveying work. He did his diet suffered or something. He says I must get up earlier and take a morning walk. Uh-huh. He said about the nori meat on December twenty-second, and he uh, said we should be treat ourselves like musical instruments and tune ourselves up very nicely and be in perfect harmony, as good as a Cremona violin or a Stradivarius. Uh-huh. Be like a Stradivarius. So we went. uh, And he said there's two kinds of simplicity. And he said we should live on berries in August. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the tea time. It's actually the muse time or the serene hour or the chast eve or the time uh, between... Afternoon and evening. And there's people they go to England to learn how to speak a, like the Queen's English, but they have no bullets to fire. No. And then we read. We read the second half of the year um, 1853 in the best of the selected journals of Henry David Thoreau. Mm.